So if you had to travel cross country with any celebrity, who would it be? Um, it might not be Charles Grodin. Not anymore, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not going to happen in 2021. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, leaving Las Vegas is all about doing it with Johnny Depp, right? Um, you know what? Is that Nick Cage? I thought it was Johnny Depp as Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, him and Benicio Del Toro in that one. Fear and Loathing. Yes. Fear and Loathing. Oh, I said leaving, didn't I? I meant Fear and Loathing uh, in Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah, leaving Las Vegas, you're Two right. Two different movies. Well, my brain auto-corrected too, Fear uh, yeah, and Loathing, because yeah. you were talking about Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, I think Bobby D still. I want current day De Niro. Oh, yeah. You want old man De Niro. Like old man De Niro. Puppy dog De Niro. Yeah, I'm all about the war on grandpa, baby. The war on Or whatever that movie's called. Yeah. Him and Zach. Was that him and Zach Efron? Was that? No, that was the kid. Yeah. That was the kid. Zach Efron's dirty grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be your dirty grandson. I'm into it. He seems cool. Oh, I've always thought Bobby D sounded seemed cool, you know? Yeah, I think he is a very cool guy. He is. God, he's at peak cool in this movie. He is very much peak cool. Very cool. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film space course. This week's film is Midnight Run, starring Bobby D and Charles Grodin. It's directed by a person. Bobby Darren? Bobby Darren. Um, somewhere beyond the sea. Uh, no, not that at all. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, uh, we'll be talking about this. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and I, too, can't tell you who directed Midnight Run. I thought I was going to have it ready before uh, it was time for me to say my name. Martin Brest. Martin Brest. Oh. Insert joke here. Moving right well, along. I've got a joke. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, in case you've tuned in for the very first time, friends and neighbors, this is a analysis show, not a review show. And that does mean we're going to spoil the ending of the movie and find out whether or not Charles Grodin will end up giving a St. Bernard to Robert De Niro. It's very funny. Okay, thank it's you. A bit. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good Beethoven joke. Uh, uh, yeah. Keisha walked in while I was watching this and said, hey, that looks like the dad from that movie Beethoven. It, it, it is. It is, correct. Becca she nailed came, it. Becca came in and said, who's that? And as I started to say Beethoven's dad, she went, that's Beethoven's dad. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yes, indeedy, uh, we will spoil that, but not at first. We'll have synopsis, which is spoiler-free. We'll have thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, because we do a little bit of review on this show, and that'll be spoiler-gentle in the same way that all reviews are. And then we move on into a little game called... Excuse me, expanding the syllabus in which we will probably not spoil this movie as much as other films in its orbit, if there's any spoilers at all. And then from there, all bets are off. We are in analysis territory. There's music to let you know that the bets are now off, as are um, the rest of our clothing. And uh, down to business socks. And then we'll be doing analysis, and that'll have lots of spoilers. I'm done saying these words. Arthur, say the words about synopsis. From the director of Gili. Midnight Run tells the story of Jack Walsh, a bounty hunter looking to score a big deal in order to leave the life behind. He's sent after a white-collar criminal nicknamed the Duke, who is also being hunted by the feds and the mob. Walsh has five days to get him from New York to L.A., but cross-country trips are never easy. Uh, this is accurate, accurate, accurate. And so uh, there you go. That is, I mean, that's what the movie's about. So without any further ado, we'll just do some thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Arthur, what do you think of Midnight Run? You picked this movie. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, technically, yes, I picked most of the movies. Um, I uh, I enjoyed it, though. I, I had fun. I, I think it's got a lot of heart. Um, Bobby D is Pete cool here. He's just cool to watch, cool to look at, cool to listen to. Um, he's just a lot of fun. I think he has a great chemistry with Charles Grodin. 
Um, they have a very fun dynamic. Uh, I think that they get to have a lot of fun across this movie. We get some really fun set pieces, um, such as the anxiety airplane moment, uh, which is a good bit. Good um, Groden constantly nagging him to go see his... Uh, his family in Chicago, uh, which is a good time. Just get nagging at him to open up emotionally yeah. the entire yeah. time. It's yeah. great. It's, yeah. it's questioning his health choices. Why is he eating these yeah. things Why that are, are bad for him? So if you know cigarettes. they're bad for you. Uh, and God, he is his, smoking like a freight train throughout this whole movie. Yeah, he is. Correct. Uh, he is uh, Groden as kind of the walking id. Uh, for a good chunk of this movie is a, is a fun choice. Or the mm. super ego. Super ego, Super yeah. ego. Um, it is a good time, I think. Uh, and, and the constant just looks on his face. Uh, there's a moment where he's exchanging glances uh, with a woman who's trying to run a credit card uh, for De Niro. Uh, and they just have some subtle cues back and forth, which is, is, is just a hoot. He's mugging watch. a yeah, lot. He, yeah. So that, that's a real good time. Um, I think all of the those guys uh, that are in this movie are, are a blast. I was just filled to the brim with them. Farina, uh, Pantalone, Pantalone, Joey Pants, and uh, Yafo Kemet? Kemet? Yafo yeah. Um, they're all a lot of fun. I like this kind of, they're constantly accidentally one step ahead of what's going on uh, or uh, very intentionally one step ahead of what's going on. I think that is good. I think there are some seeds planted for jokes later on that pay off well. And uh, I do think it might be a little long uh, just because of the kind of repetitive nature of the plot where it's kind of the same thing over and over um, that might get a little long in the tooth a few times, but overall, I think it's just a really fun adventure to get there. And so that ride, I really appreciate. And I really like the evolution of the dynamic between them in that kind of buddy comedy moment. Um, because by the end of this, most movies like this, uh, it feels like the two main characters are best friends. Mm. And yes. I, I think there's something of a mutual appreciation here between them, but I, I like that it doesn't clean it up that nice and tidy. Um, and I, I think there's just some great acting. There's a moment uh, where De Niro goes to uh, see his family in Chicago, and uh, it's a really, I think, moving scene, and, and not much is said in certain moments. It's all looks and glances and, and body language, stuff like that. Uh, but I think it's really affecting. And, and so I think De Niro's just... At his peak here, uh, he's really cool, but he's also just a great actor. Uh, and so there are things about that I like. I, and I'm glad I caught up with it. I thought it was a lot of fun, uh, and I enjoyed it. So here we are. Very cool, very cool. Well, hey, Dalton, what do you think? Do you like Midnight Run? This is a good movie. Guys, this is a good movie. Midnight Run lets you know just how much work music does in filmmaking. Because with a different score, this is an entirely different movie. Uh, but it just has this jaunty, just great sort of groove going the whole time it's the weirdest danny elfman score i've heard man it's just there's like a lot of sax in it very yeah 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 it's it's not something i'm used to from danny elfman yeah is this was an elfman one i thought yeah it's i that makes sense honestly because of it's so high energy and it's kind of got Mm -hmm. a lot of pep in its step but you're right like it is definitely a lot more uh, yeah, I guess guitar and horn influence than I would expect from him. I guess, you know, the synth is what I think of when I think of Elfman. But yeah, it's, it is so sort of uh, bluesy, I guess, is sort of the, the vibe it's going for musically. But it, that downplays kind of, again, there's a, a lightness to all the music in this movie, which is a wild choice considering all the life or death stakes in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Arthur's already said a lot of what I think works about this. It, it, it is that 
that key dynamic between Groden and De Niro. They they just are fun together. They they really pop. They they work as foils to each other comedically. Uh, and and then again, just it is a murderer's row of fun actors of people you're glad to see. Um, it, that does a lot for this movie. Uh, it's not reinventing the wheel. Um, it it really it's it's odd. You know, we're starting this marathon on on buddy cop movies with with Midnight Run, and uh, it doesn't feel like it owes a lot to the film that comes out the year before. Lethal Weapon comes out the year before. This is a huge, I mean, catastrophically big hit. Uh, and this doesn't feel indebted to it at all. It, it feels like a movie from five years earlier, truly. It, it's kind of interesting how it exists in the wake of this new buddy cop moment and yet does feel more in line with with older road movies, with things from like the 40s, like a, a tradition that goes way back. And that's, I don't know, I think that's kind of the strength of this movie is it does, it feels part of a filmmaking tradition in a way that you're like oh this is just sort of a, a nice little saturday groove like this this doesn't need to be anything other than what it's trying to be and uh i don't know for that i really appreciate midnight run very good very good thank you very much i don't know what's going on in my throat today but um yes i also like midnight run quite a bit this I think is a first time for you as well, it's a right? first time view for me uh it's just one of those bits of 80s cinema that for whatever reason i missed it in the hbo rotation and uh, just watch something on one of the other channels. It was something better on the movie channel, apparently, at that time. So, uh, yes, I'm glad that I've gotten to it. As we've already said, Robert De Niro's great. Joey Pants is great. All the other those guys are uh, fantastic. Um, and it is well-paced. And uh, just that great love, you know, hate, love, hate, love structure mm-hmm. uh, between our protagonists. And... Uh, they are equally good with uh, degrees of dislikable traits, but their dislikable traits become, again, bugs rather than features to who they are as characters. And uh, that's just good screenwriting there. And features s- rather than bugs? Uh, y- no. No, but The dislikable bit is the bug. Gotcha. But uh, it is out of a, a feature that is generally likable. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Okay. Uh, you made me think too hard in a moment there. I need more coffee for those kinds of questions, <laughs> my friend. But yes, indeed, um, I like it a lot. Um, I don't know if I have any more to say about it than that. Just It's good, and it's a good bit of fun. And uh, why would you not enjoy some great comedic chops with a great dramatic actor both doing action movie stuff? That mashup works for me most of the time, all the time. So there you go, friends. Let's move right along then into our little exercise we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what that's all about? I'll sure try. Yeah, Expanding the Syllabus is where we do the thing that delivers on the promise of this show. We're going to talk about the movies you wouldn't talk about in a film studies course, but we're going to do so as though you were talking about them in a film studies course. So what smart things will we think of to say about Midnight Run? I don't know. You're going to find out. But it's, yeah, we're going to take films, uh, articles, things in the orbit of Midnight Run and try to thread together at an academic discussion about this extremely across-the-plate movie. <laughs> yes, indeed. So with that, Arthur, what is your syllabus looking like? Uh, Dalton already called out the road movie, and that's what I'm going to discuss. The road movie, the slash, the travel film, and we are going to go back to those studio days with uh, some of the screw uh, screwball comedies, and we've got to talk about It Happened One Night uh, from Frank Capra, uh, kind of the precedent setter for the structure of film, this kind of comedy of errors that takes place across the country as wild things happy to traveling partners. Uh, we're going to follow that up with... Uh, 
Preston Sturgis' Sullivan's Travels uh, as nice. well, um, which has a similar conceit uh, as this actor has given up, and they've, they've got to find out where he is and what's going on with him. Uh, and so we kind of get a, a, a fun run there. Uh, we're going to move into... Uh, the new Hollywood, though, and kind of take a detour uh, with this style, and we're going to talk about Easy Rider, uh, just because of where it lands as far as road movies go and what it means to the culture of the time, uh, and this odd period before we kind of move back into safer studio filmmaking um, with uh, John Hughes. We've got to talk about planes, trains, and automobiles. It was already referenced once, uh, the the kind of... I think peak idea of this with Martin and Candy uh, as as they play off of one another, uh, and we got to talk about I think Vacation as well. So uh, Harold Ramis, I don't know, <clears throat> um, probably yeah, directing that. And there's a whole series of those with uh, Chevy Chase uh, that everybody seems to love, and I still haven't seen them. Um, <laughs> so uh, hey, but you know what? They're always talked about, and I have not got there yet. I I've seen the remake with the with Ed Helms. With Ed Helms, and that's as far as I've gotten. I'm gonna go ahead and say I think. A lot of those people are wrong. I don't. I, I don't know what the appeal is of the vacation movies. I've I've tried to get into it. I really have. I, it's I, maybe a nostalgia I thing. I guess Christmas Vacation and like a you know a, a you revival saw, show. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, just a, Sanford a likes one. him, right? Loves it. Yeah, big big one for him. Yeah, that's I, what I thought. It's fine, but we got to talk about that and this, the the comedy uh, aspect of it. That's pretty standard here. Uh, which really gives us some kind of fish out of water moments. But also when you do a cross country country journey. Uh, you can have a lot of things go very wrong very quickly, uh, which is great if you're writing a script and you need conflict to arise. Uh, from there, we're going to talk about Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julian Newmar. Yeah. Uh, and Michael. Um, I like putting these side by side. Uh, <laughs> yes. I like uh, this kind of exploration of small town life as we're traveling across country and what that means for the parties involved. Uh, and then I want to take a little more serious route to end, but I think I want to land on Nebraska and Nomadland. Nice. Uh, as kind of these two ruminations of of life and relationships, and with Nebraska that being the father and the son, and and that small town factoring into that, but a nomad land, this kind of postmodernist look at where we are as a society and a very temperament or culture as far as will I have a job come Christmas or mm-hmm. what will my life look like, and these people who just have to up and travel as as they live their lives and hope that there's something to uh, get them to the next spot. And I, I think it's a very uh, interesting rumination of where we are and what's going on in the world right now and an interesting uh, subculture within America. And I think it's an interesting place to in this, uh, I guess, sub-genre study on, on the road movie. I know what you get with Nebraska, too, is people actually talking about road time. Which is, I feel like, an essential part of travel that you never get in road movies. You don't have you don't have an uncle asking how what kind of time you made. Yeah, yeah. What what, what highway you took? It's very important. Very, <laughs> I love very that important shit. Information. You kidding me? Yeah, yeah. That's that secret language adults have that you uh, think sounds like pure magic when you're a child. Yeah. I'm sorry. What what you're, what combination of letters and numbers are you saying? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Arthur. Well, with that, um, Dalton, what is your syllabus looking like? So I, I thought about uh, we've been we've been throwing around this word. This pair of words, that guy. And I think we're going to do something on character actors. What is a character actor? Who is one and who isn't one? And I think it's 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 a weird line because there's actors that are pretty big that are still character actors. I think, you know, Tilda Swinton and Michael Shannon, they're pretty big names for, for movie likers. But 
they're character actors at the end of the day. That's kind of what it boils down to. So this class would look, I mean, we'd look at some of the classics. Uh, your Dean Stockwells, your Harry Dean Stantons, your Margot Martindales, and your Ann Dowds, uh, who I think are two of the heavy hitters of their generation of character actors, Ann Dowd and Margot Martindale, uh, who I think have a lot of fun with people mixing them up. I've, I've seen a, a post or two about yeah. them being aware of people mixing them up. But so we would take a look at, at those kind of people who pop in your mind. Yafet Koto is a great person that comes to mind. I really the entire cast, uh, Dennis Farina, uh, kind of an all time that guy. Mm-hmm. So we'd look at the kind of the tier of that guys who never kind of break out. But then we'd also look like, you know, the Michael Shans, I said, or the Steve Buscemi's, these these kind of theater actors that just have such an impression on screen that they do manage to sort of become movie stars in their own right, if only through like sheer force of like, I don't know, uh, camera loving uh, face that just the camera has to love you know sometimes it's that sometimes it's their ability to really embody characters without changing too much of what their their baseline is because uh, again with Tilda Swinton you you get these kind of big arch performances sometimes which are great and same with Shannon Shannon will give you something kind of weird but both of those actors will kind of dial in things for you as well and again, I think that's what the class would be, is just sort of looking at that distinction, uh, looking at some kind of notable works from these these actors. I think this current generation's got some weird ones. I think Barry Keough and Caleb Landry Jones are two that come to mind for me. It's like sort of late 20s guys that are <clears throat> really priming themselves for just having unlikable faces. I don't know what it is about the two of them. They're just perfect on screen, though. Uh, I feel like Jesse Plemons is low-key a character actor, too, though, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you broaden that definition out, it does sort of start to make you think, oh, yeah, it's it's not all people in their 50s. Like, there's there's a tons of different kinds of character actors because careers are long, and that, that's how you become a that guy is mm-hmm. just hanging in there yeah. and, and getting that, you know, the fourth to eighth build role a hundred times. You just sort of start to become a name unto yourself despite a lack of, uh, you know, push from the industry. I love it. I think... Does it happen more with men than women? I think absolutely it does, but, you know, sort of this in that like, Hollywood way. That, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, I think, again, Martindale and Dow yeah. are two actors who have done a lot to, you know, ha- get jobs for middle-aged women, and they're, like, good characters. And that's not, you know, a niche of performance that mainstream Hollywood work often gives, and I think that's... Why prestige TV's been so big for character actors? Well, yeah. uh, your your Beth Grants are sort oh, of an, Grant an, an example yeah. of that kind of thing, but yeah. I think there is less of a a place where Hollywood overwhelmingly casting directors see women as somewhat interchangeable, mm-hmm. which is you know troubling. I think it's something worth talking about in that course, right? Yeah, well, of course, and that's uh, there aren't that many female character actors because of sort of that limitation, right? right? Because there's not that many roles for women between the ages of 39 and 55. Uh, it's sort of once you get past menopause and you can play, you know, surly old grandmas and, you know, wise, you know, dishwashers. I don't know what whatever you the old lady du jour you want to go with. But, yeah, I, I think that there definitely are fewer female character actors. And, of course, yeah, in a class like this, we'd have to kind of interrogate that a little bit. And yeah. See what what work do uh, actors of a cer- actor, female actors of a certain age get? What roles do male actors of a certain age get? Um, you know, when do you age out of being a character actor and when do you age into it sort of you know different again age is such a tricky thing with character actors too right because it's not necessarily about that but it definitely i don't know it feels like it adds to it i was gonna say it feels like most of them are perpetually 45 right i was specifically thinking of um 
Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Dennis Farina's right hand man in this. Oh, uh, Tony. Yeah, uh, um, who plays Skunk Stripe? Yeah, yeah. The, I know what you mean the um, titular role in Paul Thomas Anderson Sydney. Is that Richard Ferrangi? No, no. Why are they all Italian? Um, it's Philip Baker Hall. <clears throat> okay, I knew, I knew it when I saw. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's Philip Baker Hall. Oh, uh, his lawyer guy. Yeah, yeah, his lawyer. Sorry, oh, his yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking of the guy you kept calling his muscle. You yeah, meant sorry. Wally Gator from. Uh, yeah. uh, See, there you go. Magnolia, yeah. Yes, Wally. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I do want to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson because he loves Simmons and Philip Baker Hall, but he loves character actors, right? Yeah, he does. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, is one of his repertory players for so many years because he's kind of that, that young generation of character actor at that, that moment in his life. Um, and similar, I think Wes Anderson's another guy who, like, has mm-hmm. a lot of love for actors of uh, a certain tier mm-hmm. as far as, like, exposure goes. Well, I was going to say, uh, PTA is keeping it in the family with his new one with the uh, Hoffman's son. Oh yeah, in the lead. yeah absolutely yeah. for sure. And, and uh, you know, going out there and looking for a, with uh, one of the ladies from Haim. You know, going out getting somebody that's not a, typically an actor. That's always fun. But I, I feel like there's certain directors that kind of gravitate towards faces, as it were, as more than they're they're looking for names. Right. Absolutely. Dustin, what are you going to do with Midnight Run? I think I'm going to teach of... this class with you, is what I'm going to do, because okay. I'm thinking about yeah. star studies in general. Um, so the textbook is Richard Dyer's 1979 work, Stars, okay. which is one of the uh, great authoritative studies on the subject of just what stardom is and how it works, uh, both in terms of content and in terms of industrial work mm. in Hollywood, and thinking about the star vehicle. Yeah, uh, and exploring that particular. So we're now we're talking about the top names. We're well, talk- and that's what's interesting, right? Because Groden's not really a name, but De Niro no, definitely. De Niro is. definitely but is. He's on sort of a waning trajectory at this point. Eighty-eight, like he's kind of his his golden years are behind him, and he hasn't started doing well, well the schlock that he does throughout the late. Well, Goodfellas is coming. That's true. That's true. He's got a couple of big hits. You, I totally forgot about Goodfellas. Yeah. So but I was kind of thinking about this. I don't know. This feels like a precursor to his like mid two thousands, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. In some ways, yeah. And, uh, but and, this is stronger than a lot of those movies, right? But it is a star vehicle. It's a paycheck. He's a recognizable name. He's a bankable star. These are sort of the prerequisites for the star vehicle. And we're mm-hmm. going to go all the way back to nineteen fifty seven for the first film, Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock. Okay. And uh, thinking about you know because it's a, the biggest rock and roll star in America at this time. Yeah. And uh, sort of the progenitor of that particular genre of music and using that particular film to do that. Uh, From that, I think we can think about Robert De Niro, who begins much more of an actorly kind of set of roles. Uh, I'm thinking especially about his work in the Godfather films Mm -hmm. in the 1970s and a lot of stuff he does with the new Hollywood. And then he just becomes, again, a bankable movie star. Uh, for the sake of famousness uh, there. And then um, crossover appeal. And so the last film I would use for my star studies of the star vehicle is Dwayne The Rock Johnson in The Scorpion King. Interesting, and yeah. that as a breakout sure. moment, mm-hmm. which re- results in this p- professional wrestler becoming a major Hollywood um, A-lister as it moves forward. I mean... It's funny, though, but that, that is sort of the career trajectory for a lot of people. Like, for some character actors, it is going from stage to screen. And, you know, whether that stage is the hardwoods or the uh, the squared circle, it's all theater, baby. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. It's, it's, it crossover is a crossover. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, there's a number of other people we could look at, and a uh, number of different um, films that we could examine. I keep thinking examine. about Bushimi. Right, yes. like he gets weirdly big for a character actor. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Steve Buscemi. Like right. that becomes a household face. Like people know who that guy is, despite right. 
there's no no reason for anybody to know who Buscemi is. But nobody does a Steve Buscemi star vehicle film, exactly. Right? And so, uh, what is it? What is that line? And what is that degree? And so, we could blend those two things together into a star studies. I think that would be interesting and quite a lot of fun. Yeah. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer, but I believe now is the time to get down to business. Yes, And so with that business, I think we need to talk a little bit about, well, men making friends. Yeah, that's sort of what this whole movie's about. Right? right? Male friendship and how that is an awkward thing. And Mal's the, being pals. Yeah. Is that it? Is that the, yeah, yeah. Is sure. That sure. I, I, it, are Dorfman, Marvin, and um, I forget Robert De Niro's actual. Walsh? Walsh, yes. Jack, Jack Walsh. Jack Walsh, yes. Of course, the most movie of From movie America's that, Most Wanted. Uh, that's John Walsh. <laughs> Isn't Jack a nickname for John? Uh, I think Jack is a John. Um, and there's a Jill somewhere at some point. You guys confuse me. Jigolo. Uh, any- words. Are we, yeah, we're just doing sort of a word salad thing now, aren't uh, we? we? We went to this Dottist poetry moment here just now, which is really kind of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, the way we... Are, are those two frenemies, Marvin and um, Walsh? Uh, it's just my first question. Here. Are they... Fr- I think that's what I mean. That's the great dynamic I think of this movie and their relationship. That's kind of what I alluded to, right? Uh, traditionally, in a movie like this, in this buddy comedy, they would be best friends by the end of the movie, and that dynamic isn't there, right? And, and it's really a relationship of opportunity for mm-hmm. both of them because Martin is just kind of, or Groden is just kind of waiting for. Yeah, we Mar his 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 name. By the way, I had to look it up. No, I, Marvin. I'm talking about Marvin, the other bounty hunter. Oh, oh, Marvin. Oh, that, sorry. Yeah, Marvin Dorfman or whatever his last name is. What it, it, are they frenemies? I mean, Dorfler, something like Dorfler. That. Yeah. Are they frenemies? No, no, I think they actively hate each other. Yeah, yeah. I think they really do. Yeah, I, no. There's no love. In there's that. no I mean, love and there's does, no respect there. Yeah. yeah, it makes it seem like it's going to go that way a couple of times, yeah. right? Like, After he might. punches him out and then steals his car in the opening scene, I think that kind of sets the tone for that relationship. There. But then the question is, are he enjoying? Pants friends? No, no, no. no. I think Jack Walsh is an insufferable. He detests man. him, which is the next question. I think that's it. Like, does yeah. Bobby De Niro have any friends? No, no. And that's why <laughs> freaking Mardukas, which is a great movie name. Yes, the Mardukas. Duke. Yes, the Duke Marmadukas. Yeah, Jonathan the Marmadukas. He is a great name. Uh, not a, not, that's <laughs> a good bit, movie name. Groden can't get away from big dogs. <laughs> that's what's so good about Groden, though, right? Like, big dog. his character is so affable and just yeah. like. J- genuinely polite just like and is trying to like cut it up with every person they encounter on the road <laughs> he's just trying to, he's just a nice guy and so like they they that foil works so and you know de niro even at this point in his career spent the better part of a decade playing tough guys so that is sort of yeah. his hollywood image so it's no stretch for you to see him as like i don't know not somebody you actually want to hang out with yeah is he winning over by the power of friendship that is magic? Is that is 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 that the major theme of the film? Then I think it absolutely is. Like it it is sort of that way in which all friendships are romances a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it sort of gives you that that uh, meet cute. It gives you that that tit for tat rip repertoire. Like it gives you everything you want out of this kind of movie. Whether it's 
uh, Midnight Run or It Happened One Night. What is it? Is that the name of that movie? Yeah, It Happened yeah. One Night. It Happened yeah. One Night. Like, it's kind of the same movie. Right. You can pretend yeah. one's different because it's got yeah. a helicopter that explodes, but it's basically a rom-com. I mean, and that's what makes I Love You Man work so well, right? Because it yes. just gets right to that point that totally. uh, they're the same idea. Yeah. Yeah, bromance movies are, are I mean, a thing. You could teach Midnight Run in class on bromance movies. Absolutely. Because yeah. mm-hmm. that's sort of what works so well about this is they are such an odd couple. Like, yeah. They don't... And they keep coming back to that in another life thing, which I think is so cute. Like, it's, yeah. it is some real, like, I don't know, femme fatale who doesn't kill the protagonist stuff to be, like, in another yeah. life. It's yeah. great. Right, but Groden right. is the... The, the femme fatale? The femme fatale. I don't know. The femme fatale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Trademarked. Enough, yeah, don't have enough good French to pull out a, a witty pun there. But, like, I don't know. I think Groden's so different from what you would expect from this kind of character. I don't know what you would expect the the foil to De Niro to be, but I don't know if I don't know if I would have pictured him in my mind. No, but uh, I think it totally works. It, no, absolutely. And, I, and as like you mentioned, the romance and... side of it, I want to sort of uh, tease out some of those romantic moments because I think one of the key romantic moments for me between them in this romance mm-hmm. is uh, the scene on the train car. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not finishing each other's sentences. But he already knows his sentences and responses. And so this sort of uh, expletive-laden uh, bit of like... And, and, and that he just is amused by this. There's just a way in which I... Re- there's, an, there's another movie where something like this sort of takes place, which we might be talking about in the, recent, in, in the near future, mm. in which um, you just cannot help being um, just amused and entertained by the funny thing a guy says. And by making me laugh, that is the key to you know, the, the bromance here, right? And uh, yeah, I just I, I just love that about this movie. Are, are there any other key bromance moments here? I, that final moment is so sweet. It he, is where he where he hangs up on Pantheano and uh, Groden's like, wait, what? Like he yeah. does take him a second to like for to register because I, I don't know. It's fun to have that beat on the plane because like the last thing that you, so if you decide to skip the movie, we of course have an act two falling out where uh, push comes to shove and De Niro's like, no, I'm trying to get my hundred thousand dollars i'm gonna take you to los angeles no matter what mm-hmm. uh it, it does sort of they have this falling out and they're not going to speak to each other and after they come back together they still don't speak for a while like it the, the movie makes you share a lot of silent screen time with them before they do finally have this moment where De Niro's like yeah you know i did what i said i was gonna do now i can let you go uh and it is such a nice pleasant moment that for me like i just totally sells the movie i guess the the rescue is a nice one where Groden is putting his feet to the fire. Like, yeah. are you gonna, right. are you gonna let me go or like don't don't make me kill you? Basically, well, I I enjoy the moment where he lets uh, Groden take the lead on the uh, the counterfeit twenties in mm. the bar in Red's bar. Oh, that's so good, which is such a fun moment. But totally forgot about that. He that gets whole play, he plays second fiddle to him and just kind of lets him have that freeness to uh, explore that character. And I think that's a fun moment for them. Yeah, for sure. Oh, uh, the the whole truck sequence, the walking in the desert, the airplane, the the reveal that he's not actually afraid of flying, that whole sequence it's, it's, is... That's a good bit. You lied to me first. Yeah. Because you meant to lie to me first. Yeah. And that's so... Groden splitting hairs about who actually <laughs> lied first is like... So, so funny, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's what's so great about Bardukas as a character, right? Is he he's like both affable and really annoying. Like <laughs> right. he, he's not going to let you not be friends with him, it's, which is I don't know, a fun trait for a character to have. All right, uh, so let's think about characterization and uh, villainization uh, because we we have um, Charles Grodin, who is a white collar criminal, and uh, the way in which we are able to overcome his white collar crime 
is that he has donated the $15 million to charity. Um, for going a three hundred thousand dollar nest egg, I think it's three hundred fifty thousand, uh, and it is in a very fun smuggling belt, which I've, I've something I've never seen before. We also can't vilify him because he stole that money from a mob boss, right? So it's not like eh. <laughs> I think it's okay to steal blood money. That's what I say. And I mean, even De Niro isn't mad about it. Like he's he says he cheered him on. Like yeah. he was rooting for him until yeah. his, until his until he just needed the paycheck. I need a paycheck and yeah. come get you. And then De Niro, who is a uh, disgrace cop. But disgrace because of a frame job and also because he won't be on the take, right? Yeah. And so the, the, it serves a weird kind of double duties that we need to have these guys outside the margins, outside the boundaries, but they're totally within the boundaries, right? And, and films yeah. do this a lot. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the Western and sure. and the good bad man. The reason why I'm no longer with the Texas Rangers anymore is because they were going to string up this man and he was innocent, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's the same. It, it's a very very typical kind of trope, and we want our characters. It seems to me that there's a there's a pleasure in a in a character who can do bad things, who can break law, who can cross lines, who can uh, fail to fulfill whatever social more is there, but they can do those things because they have this background and backstory of being on the right side of kind of a wrong issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a classic yeah. archetype, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then at the same time, you've got Jack Walsh, right, who is like, the movie's crossing its arms and going, no, we think cops aren't cool, too. He's a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. He's a cop who was too good for this world. Like, you know, classic Serpico shit. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and now it's okay when he uh, impersonates a federal agent or uh, steals a car. Because he's a good guy at the end of the day, because he wouldn't go on the take from the mob. Right. I don't know. It's 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 a classic movie logic, but it does totally work for me. Uh, I I do <laughs> love the joke that you know you're going to get ten years for impersonating a federal agent. And he goes, "How long are you going to get?" <laughs> yeah, they yeah. have some great back and forth. Oh my god, Yafik Koto is like about to bust a blood vessel. This yeah. whole movie. <laughs> yeah, he's so good at it. Yeah, Ugh, he's absolutely fantastic. This movie. Reminded me that we only invented good dads within the last like thirty years. I don't, I don't really have a lot to say about that. But we don't get much on Mardukas other than that he is a family man, but does not make seem like he's in a hurry to get back to them. He just wants to be let go. It, was that always his plan? Was to abandon his family? Unclear. I mean, is he going to abandon them? I mean, is the plan to finally get them all together? And he said he had I a plan think to his, disappear. I I mean, I think his I think he would reconnect with his daughter, right? I mean, that would make sense. He's so invested in Jack getting back in touch with his family that you oh, would think... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would I keep getting that. characters mixed up Oh, in you're this good. Movie. Uh, Groden, Groden's yes. character. He says he's, like, stolen enough money to disappear. Does that include his family? Because it doesn't I would kind of assume, because he's with that his wife at the beginning. That's reading. true, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think they're laying low, and he's going to hit the road pretty quick. Okay, that would make more sense. Because it is, of course, you know, Jack Walsh is a terrible dad, and we have need another thing to juxtapose the two about you know, things that they're not uh, on the same page about. Uh, Groden is so good in these moments where he's fighting with his ex-wife and his daughter uh, walks into the room. Like, Groden is just, like, hanging out in the back of that seat, <laughs> like, kind of <laughs> staring at the ceiling at one point, like, oh, this is awkward. Yeah, uh, yeah but He anyway. doesn't look like a criminal. I don't know. I don't, I don't have much to add. White collar. I'm a white collar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very. Yeah, that's yeah. about that. That's where that joke comes from. Is that scene? Uh, I don't know. We don't get a lot. Groden is implied to be a good dad. I guess maybe I, it it's, seems that way. The yeah. Beethoven movies husband, yeah. don't exist yet uh, when this comes out. But like, obviously, that's sort of how he reads on screen. That's how you yeah. get the Beethoven job. 
De Niro is never going to read as a good father. I don't think. I don't think he's oh, ever got to De play Niro. one. Yeah. He just can't play one. Yeah. I don't think he's been allowed to. I'm sure he could if he tried, but I don't think he's ever going to get the chance because yeah. he always has to play it. I mean, so he's much. got range. I mean, I saw him play Captain Shakespeare in Stardust. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, layers oh, to Captain <laughs> Shakespeare. Oh, how could I forget Captain Shakespeare? Oh my god! I mean, even in what? Uh, what's what was the stupid Martin Scorsese one? The uh, Irishman. Yeah. yeah, he kicks yeah. a dude to, uh, near to death in front of his yeah. kid. Like that's right. sort of what kind of daddy usually plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, him and Ray Liotta are just never going to be father of the year. No. no. It's just not going to happen. No, we're not going to do that. The movie tries to let it happen, though. Like, I don't know. It's it's a nice moment with his daughter, but also it does, like, highlight, no, this is not good dad behavior. You can't just be, like, screaming at your child's other parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's sort of why you don't do that, because they might be in the other room listening. Yeah. And though it's played for yucks and played for plotting, um, I, I do think the film does sort of wisely engage the nature of corruption and organized crime and how those um, interpenetrate one another in significant ways. Sure. And, uh, I mean, uh, other than simply naming it, I, I there if one is to take it on, uh, you have to choose to be pariah. And uh, that's prescient, for sure, in the film. I don't know if there's anything more to say about it that, you know, other than it's just simply we name drop those words and this is what's happening. I guess maybe the only other thing is uh, the false sense of security this movie gives you that's, uh, don't worry, the FBI's always out there and they can't be bought by the mob, which is, well, this would just be a good time for me to remind the listener that the CIA, uh, we've got the receipts, did definitely work with the mafia in uh, their, their Cuba projects. Like, that's just a real thing that happened. Right. So... Cotto is yeah. sort of presented as a good FBI agent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although he is uh, willing to do whatever means necessary to get credit for a particular caller. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he won't allow Groden's arrest to interfere with his much more needed Serrano. You know, yeah. Serrano case. But, you know, I don't I don't know if there's anything more to be said about it than that. Yeah. They they try to do something with it though, and I think you're right to to give the movie a, a high five for that. You know, it's it's trying to at the very least work it into the conversation, which I don't know, eighty eight's pre Rodney King. I don't know how much like you can't trust the police is going on in mainstream media at that time. Mm-hmm. Probably not a whole lot. Not a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't think. Um is there anything to be said about the score? I know we've mentioned Danny Elfin's score already, but like I don't know. I feel like the score does a lot for this because it's a totally different movie. If you put, let's say, I, I, I mean, even if you just like change the melodies a little bit, it's a totally different movie. Yeah, yeah. It's not a fun sort of Saturday afternoon skip through a field. It could very easily be like a much more dour film with mm-hmm. a, a more driving score. I, I don't know. It turns yeah. it, it from Hans an action- Zimmer's um, yeah. <laughs> exactly, version right. of this movie yeah, is yeah, yeah. different. Yeah. It could lean much more aggressively into action movie, and it, it is much more, despite not being like that funny. It's 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 becomes a comedy because of its like really well, well done score. Yeah, it gives it that whimsy. There you go. That's the word I've been looking right. for. Whimsy. I, I think. Yeah. Which I think also is what lends it to that classic era feel that it does kind of carry with it. Totally. Yeah, yeah studio era. Yeah. yeah, like this is easily something like a Hitchcock could have done. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it does kind of feel like that. Yeah, and I, I used the word bluesy earlier, and I think that's probably more accurate when talking about next week's movie's score. Sure. Yeah. Which well, is I a, mean, I I, I I think it does. Kind of, it just has that jazziness to it. I yeah. think is what it is. Yeah. There's a bounce. Yeah. There's a there we go another good. But one. I mean, Whimsy in that opening scene, it does feel a little darker, I guess. Yeah. And I think it does match though, because well, when he's well, it's walking character into that introduction, apartment, right? Yeah. yeah we yeah. got to make sure that he is. He's, um, he's hard and kind it, of it, yeah. Schooled the efficient and, distribution yeah. of violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I mean that's something we rarely talk about it, but characterization through music mm-hmm. is something we don't talk about but I think that is part of it yeah because, I think so because sure. you're not going to put a hardened score over Charles Grodin's character here no and I think that does a lot yeah in, he he does sort of introduce that jaunt uh, that jaunty nature that bouncy nature it does sort of show up in force when he arrives on the screen so well, that's I, fair I, I think another way we can think about characterization is just through costuming right the leather jacket versus um, the sweater and the uh, you know Oxford yeah. uh, yep. dress shirt under that yep. and the long coat I mean there's a there's a real tweediness to Groden's character and there's a definite um, a street uh, kind of hardened uh, plainclothes police officer kind of thing going on with uh, just again just costuming choices and uh, clearly a guy living in Los Angeles could dress differently. And pro- Not a lot of days you need a leather jacket, no. I don't think. That's sort of a deliberate Chicago guy choice. Right. Uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, costuming, though, there is also th- this film predicts the character of Dog the Bounty Hunter by making the rival <laughs> bounty hunter Martin dress like that kind of guy. Yeah, the vest and flannel just missing and, a and, and western the belt buckles. Big, chunky bracelet, too, yeah. to catch the, the leather yeah, with yeah. a little turquoise on yeah. it. Oh, my God. Like, that's a type of guy. I mean, I've oh, yeah. seen that guy before. Yes. But it's just funny that this movie thought about that kind of guy he's got a big gold ring that says jesus saves yeah he's doing that yeah kind of thing right yeah i don't know what that song is it's but... a pearl jam song uh, oh yeah yeah it's off the avocado <laughs> album <laughs> he doesn't always sound like that why do you guys gotta do me like this <sighs> it's just fun you know honestly if you had to, if, you, if you need our honesty it's fun okay that's i mean fair. we haven't had a pearl jam reference in roughly six years but okay. yeah it's been well i've been yeah because you're mean to me every time that's true that's uh, it's also because yeah we, we are the old young. man over here yelling at the clouds yeah, gen x are over here can't, can't handle us picking on his grunge bands <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there are any thematic things that we need to uh, chase out. Are we ready to, ready to render a verdict on this film? Only that there's male friendship in a nutshell. We can't allow uh, each other to be nice to each other for more than a few minutes. Right. Male friendship must be out of cruelty, right? Uh, I mean, yes. If there is not abuse, there is not yeah. friendship. I, I mean, we're proving the point right yeah. here. Well um, done. I, I really enjoy, I'm just talking at this point, uh, The uh, that first encounter between them where he is in the shower. He's been cornered by the dog. Uh, in the bathroom. <laughs> That's good. I think it's just like, I mean, it's so great. And, and I like that Groden. I, it, it I really feels want like, that Samoy to be a St. Bernard so much. But it would be good. It, I, I, I th- it feels like Groden's character is just constantly amused by Jack Walsh. He's never met like such a cartoon character of a <laughs> yeah. tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. He just can't believe this man eats the way he does. Like, this yeah. guy smokes so much. Like, yeah, he's baffled. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love Groden in the diner when they're like real, like when they've really run out of money. Oh, and the trees and, and he's, eggs. He's, yeah, he's looking at the guy <laughs> cooking in the back. Like that's so such effective filmmaking that insert shot chorizo. of the dude on the flat grill. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah, that long discussion of potatoes Leonese. Uh, <laughs> so good. All I looked different... up potatoes Leonese after that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds delicious, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, it's just, just yeah. potatoes and onions. Yeah, it's just fried potato with onions. We've yeah. been making it in the South for yeah. We didn't years. know there was a name for it. <laughs> 
That's just it's from its French roots, probably. Yeah, that's I mean, that's, the side, yeah, <laughs> in the south. I can get it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner here. That's right, baby, home fries. <laughs> that's what we call it. Uh, All right, well, let's render a verdict then, let's. shall we, friends? Uh, shelf or trash? What do we think of Midnight Run? Go Dalton, go! I'm gonna say shelf. Like, listen to us talk about this movie with such glee and joy in our in our voices. Yeah, it you know it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it is sort of a, a forgotten classic. Mm-hmm. I think I, there's there's a reason I've been hearing people talk about this movie for. I don't know, better part of a decade now. I feel like I'm always hearing people uh, of a certain age talk about this as like a, a go-to Saturday afternoon movie for them at a s- certain point in their life. And I see why. Like, yeah, of course this was a hit on cable. This is an infinitely watchable movie. It's just every scene has just got something goofy going on. Uh, it's it's life or death stakes, never feel too dangerous. Like, it is always having a good time. And yeah, that's, that's exactly what this movie is. It's a good time, and uh, sometimes that's really all you need out of a movie. Fair enough, fair enough. What do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? I think I'll shelf it. I, mean, I think it is one of the great buddy com- comedies, and so I, I really like what it does with the genre and with that relationship. I think it's more dynamic and interesting than a lot of them that we get in buddy movies, and so I, yeah. would, I would shelf it. Uh, I tend to concur, friends. I think it's uber-shelfable. It's very, very fun. There's nothing new, but, I mean, I would totally watch this again right away. It's just that much fun and totally worth your time. So there you go. on it. Yeah, there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts on Midnight Run, um, not a film about uh, a, a bad trip to Taco Bell. Uh, and with that... Um, that's Midnight Runs. <laughs> that's Midnight Runs. Uh, that's it. Y'all nasty. <laughs> Tell them how they can be part of the conversation. Well, if you were horrified by Dustin and Arthur's scatological comedy, you can let us know at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's the source for all your long-form feedback. Uh, if you, you know, I don't know. If, you, if you've got some burning thoughts on the show, please feel free to send them there. <laughs> I, I'm not making more diarrhea jokes. <laughs> That one wasn't one. Uh, it was a two. Now I will be making... <laughs> I am going to pivot to making diarrhea jokes now as I talk about Twitter, which is one of the other places you can find us. It's a bad place. It's the bathroom of the internet. We're on Twitter, <laughs> at Good Trash Media. Uh, we're there tweeting things that we like about movies. <clears throat> I don't know. We try to curate the feed there pretty well. We follow a lot of uh, who's who's of the film Twitter world and you know, we'll give you the retweets of uh, what's good what's news worth knowing. Uh, And of course, you find links to this show uh, and all of its episodes, as well as links to things people we like make. Uh, The Praise Down with Ethan Alex, Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade, Bad Girls Die First. Lots of good podcasts made by lots of good people. Uh, That's at Good Trash Media on Twitter once again. Uh, Finally, I don't know, if you want to help us uh, keep the lights on, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. We're not making any bonus content right now, but, you know, if you give us uh, the right amount of money, Arthur will curate a selection for you uh, on DVD or Blu-ray, your your choice based on the tier you choose. Uh, tell us the movies you like, tell us the actors and actresses you like, and Arthur will uh, put it into the Arthur Tricks 3000 and spit out a DVD selection for you, and uh, they're usually pretty good. So I don't know. That's, that's what happens on social media. That's where you can find us, etc. Rate, review, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. You've listened to a podcast before. Very cool, very cool. Well, with that, Arthur, um, let's do another movie. What do you want to do? Oh, this marathon's going to continue next week as our buddy comedy adventures roll on, and we take on the buddy cop movie, uh, even though we're almost too old for it. That's right. We're taking a look at Richard Donner's Lethal Weapon. Very cool, very cool. I look forward to seeing that, and I will look forward to seeing you all. You keep watching. You keep. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next week.